Here we go. Here we go. It's a in sync song. Well, you know. I've been in like super '90s mode, like more than usual lately. So, it's probably it's my comfort. So you're in the in sync mode, and I'm in the Randy Travis mode. I'm going back to a better class of loser. So. I'm not like I I can I never I'll be honest with you I never really got into Randy Travis. Just, I can appreciate him for you know. What yeah, he, was, he really, really got his start in the late '80s, along with some of the other greats like George Strait and so on. They're all in that same window, but. And I'm really not. I was not. I was a Backstreet Boys girl. Hmm. Was not really into NSYNC, but I can appreciate some of their stuff. They both have merit. They both have some drawbacks at times. They both have weak bones. No. <laughs> okay. They're old. That's is what I, I was trying to. They kind of took the. I'm sorry. Took the long way around the bend. I there, need huh? coffee, a lot. Um, it's been a, it's been a couple days. So the weird thing is that some of those guys from Backstreet Boys are about my age. No, <laughs> for real though. That's and I, the guy I had a crush on when I was in, you know, middle high school, was the oldest. Backstreet I didn't have a crush board. on any of them. I can say with complete honesty. Was the oldest one of the group. Which one was it? Kevin that? Richardson. Oh, really? I thought he was the most handsome man I've no, ever he, seen. He was the most mature. Of he the was. Group, so. Maybe that's why, like, I had hidden issues. I don't know. But now he's like seventy-four. So. I don't think he's seventy-four. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna guess he's right around the fifties. But they're still touring. They're still, they're still out there. No. So. so are the Oak Ridge Boys, and William Lee Golden is 82, apparently. What's his name? William Lee Golden, the one Will, with the oh, long William beard. Okay. The bearded one, which is now very, very white. But in his 80s, they're, I mean, shoot, Dwayne Allen's been the lead singer for him for 55 years. 55 years. He's 49. He's been the lead singer for the Oak Ridge Boys longer than Kevin Richardson's been alive. And Kevin Richardson's not young. He's not. The youngest Backstreet Boy is now Nick Carter, and he's 41. So all the Backstreet Boys are now in their 40s. Nick Carter's in his 40s. They now. can no longer be qualified as boys. No. Yet Backstreet's back. All, all right. right. <laughs> Hi, everyone. You knew we couldn't and escape. that some kind is of, the truth. Hey. <laughs> Have you ever, like, that's, that'd be a good catchphrase. Like, if you're on, like, if you're, like, a radio show or something, like, you say something random, you go, and that's the truth. <laughs> Anyway, we're talking about... I have, to, I have a confession to make. Okay. I got another confession to make. Foo Fighters. Um, if only we were at a dashboard. Dave Grohl is over 41. Um, and is the definition of rock star. Dave Grohl? Yeah. For sure. Um, he's being sued he right now. finished the concert with a broken leg, man. When? Jumped out a couple years ago. Uh, fell off the stage, I guess. Well, he's being sued right now, so Broke sorry, his Dave leg. Grohl. Went to the hospital, had it set, came back. Finished the show. Finished the show. After going to the hospital. Now, how he got in and got that much that treatment that quickly, I he's don't Dave know. Grohl. But he's a rock star. I'm saying. But he's being sued. So but, sorry, Dave Grohl. Did you hear about that? No. Anyway. Not shocked, but you Well, know. for something really stupid. <laughs> I son would say, Don't again, say stupid. Again, not shocked. The Nirvana I've the been baby around and the, the world Nirvana, long enough to the, to see a lot of stupid lawsuits. You know the Nirvana album I'm talking about with the yes. baby in the pool. Well, he's an adult now. And so he's suing everybody that was involved, in Kurt, including Kurt Cobain's estate, for psychological damages, I guess? The baby is? The baby, who's like in his 30s now, so that's yeah. fun. okay. Stupid, anyway. So, is the album called In Utero? It was called Nevermind. That, yeah, it's Nevermind. Yeah. In Utero's the other one. Right. Yeah. 
And I guess at the time when that picture happened, the parents of the baby said, yeah, it's okay. And they paid the parents 200 bucks and they were like, they were friends of the band. And they're like, yeah, no problem. But now the baby, who's like a 30-some-year-old man, is suing everybody involved. Yeah, so there's that. So there's that. We live in a crazy, crazy world. So what was the confession? <clears throat> was that the confession? You're being sued? No. What? How did I even get on that? Oh, Dave Grohl, like Foo Fighters. Okay. I don't know. Um, We're a little all over the map, and we're just getting started. So. <laughs> we're, and that's the truth. Um, <laughs> it's just indeed the truth. I, I think I've touched on this last week when we kind of did an overview of the of the armor of God that, you know, everybody knows everything that you need to have. Everyone knows. Even, that, even non-Christ followers. When it comes to the... I mean, it's it's more common than I'll other things. It. It's more it. common yeah. than other right, right. biblical stories. You've at least um, heard the term, and right. seen it on posters right. and whatever. Don't quote my T-shirts, quotes. So. T-shirts. Um, out of all the pieces, I really never paid much attention to the belt of truth because mm-hmm. when you compared it to like a helmet or a breastplate with or a sword, mm-hmm. it's like meh, a belt. Like what's that? So I was really. It completes the ensemble. Right. It's 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 an accessory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I guess I was looking at it from a the wrong perspective. Um, I'll admit I'll admit when I'm wrong. Um, you know, I just thought, oh, yeah, the belt of truth, we're supposed to tell the truth. Da, 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 da. That's not what it's about really at all. Hmm. Um, and it is, as I learned over the past couple of weeks, a very important and integral part of the whole ensemble. Um, so I was happy and humbled and empowered to learn all of that. Hmm. So thanks for bringing that to light for me. Well, you know, as, as we're working through it, it struck me, and I don't know that it ever struck me the same way before, but really the... The armor, strictly speaking, that he's focusing on is really these first three pieces, the, mm. the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes. And the others are what he says in addition to that, mm. which I never quite caught the same way until I was going through this, which does not make them less important or less crucial. But, you know, he starts with this belt of truth. Why would you start with the belt? That seems so you put, They put on last. Right. But it is foundational to right. the armor in that it holds everything together. And, right. you know, as we were talking about on Sunday, it kind of keeps, keeps your pants up, which I, I, I completely did not think about that until I was listening to an Alistair Begg sermon on it. And he was talking about, you know, guys shopping for big belt buckles that, you know, are, I assume like Western belt, like the rodeo belt type buckles thing, kind of yeah. stuff. And he was kind of making fun of it, you know, being from Scotland and not Texas. Anyway, he uh, was talking about, yeah, it looks great, but can it hold your trousers up? And I think so you were in a kilt. The maybe? whole thing just really kind of stuck with me that this really is, this is what gathers together all the other pieces. Because if you have, you know, if you're saved and you understand the word, Sort of. Let me say you have read the word. You know the word. You've been to Sunday school, and uh, I'm thinking of the, uh, was it Selah or Avalon Avalon that did uh, everything to me? I think it was Selah. No, I can't. Who can tell them apart anymore? Anyway, the, uh, (laughs) sorry guys. The uh, (coughs) song talked about, you know, I grew up in Sunday school, memorized the golden rule, knew all these, you know, songs and hymns and and memorized things, knew the flannel graph stories and watched Veggie Tales and blah, blah, blah. And yet, if we don't have truth and, and we ch- don't choose to 
again to steal the King James, to gird ourselves with, with truth. Gird to, your lines. To, to, to put this on intentionally, to choose to wrap ourselves with this, then we're going to stumble over all of these things. And so we'll talk about the, the breastplate of righteousness next week, and we'll talk about the, um, the, the readiness of being shod with the gospel, you know, have, having the, the shoes of readiness. Um, Not the Christmas shoes. As we're dealing with all of these things, none of it does us any good without truth. Right. And we're seeing that today. Uh, you know, over and over again, we see folks in a variety of church settings and, and you know, some denominations more than others. And, boy, I think uh, some denominations like the United Methodist Church gets bashed a lot because of their controversies over truth. And uh, somebody's offended because I just specifically named them. But it's the reality. They're in the news and all the time. that's the truth. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they're in the news all the time because of the uh, the... I don't know, the controversy, I don't know if that's the best word to choose, but sure. um, over, you know, accepting as members and specifically ordaining um, LGBTQ plus clergy. Um, and so there, there's a massive split globally. Didn't they actually have some kind of split? Like where they had different, or is that, am I just thinking of something weird? I didn't the UMC didn't. like break into categories of some kind? Uh, no, not officially yet, but they're in the process okay, of having right. having that. They they called for a special vote. Uh, was, is it two years ago already? No, maybe I that's what I'm I thinking. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, I think it was pre-COVID. Um, what wasn't? <laughs> um, not that I can remember anything because it's like this year and a half time warp or kind of lost it anyhow they called a special meeting to to address this they the global vote was to affirm the book of discipline and and thereby affirm the teachings of scripture um, but the american leadership is much more left-leaning than that and so their um the american leadership and most i i think i'm safe in saying most of the congregations uh, in the U.S. and Canada are um, promoting a more progressive, uh, that's the, the label that they would use, a progressive Christianity. Uh, and so they're in the process of splitting. They, they have, I guess they've negotiated this okay, out to a certain extent Sorry, I mean, so that they'll end up having two separate denominations. Right, that that's the, what I was thinking. The majority, the global majority of the conservative Methodists, conservative being those who hold to the historic Methodist teachings, um, well, I get. It sounds like they're going to then go form a new, even though they're the majority, go form a new denomination or a couple of new denominations. Isn't that how it works too. Of holding to the historic teachings. Right. Anyhow, the the while they get a bad rap, or the UCC, or or you know ELCA, or any number of more progressive uh, denominations. And I think rightly so. I'm not in any way going to defend them. I think that when we get away from Scripture, we get away from Scripture. But there are so many non-denominational so-called evangelical churches that are not with these more progressive mainline churches who don't teach truth any better. They may teach something different in the moment, but because they have not uh, put on, often in the pulpit, they have not put on the, the belt of truth. Those in the pews, chairs, if you're in a 
in a newer evangelical church because nobody has pews anymore. Uh, if you if you don't have it straight, if you're not absolutely grounded in truth and sound doctrine in the pulpit, you're not going to be able to in the pew. And so um, we have a lot of folks who have a lot of expectations of what the faith is like. What, what should it be like to, to, to be in Christ? What is the victorious Christian life? Um, you know, what does it mean to be saved? I mean, that's a, that is the basic core thing. I was just on my way in. I was listening to uh, the newest, um, it's not a new sermon or a new teaching because it's R.C. Sproul and he's he been with the Lord, what, three years or something like that now. Um, but he's talking about um, imputation versus impart, impartation. And so as we're dealing, I don't want to rehash his whole thing, but he's going through the, the core issues of the Reformation, really. And what we're talking about at its essence is what does it mean to be saved? And when we, when we get that wrong, then we're going to get wrong everything that flows from that. If we don't know what it means to be in Christ, then we can't know what it means to walk worthy in Christ, to be able to, to live the life. And so that's what Paul's doing in the book of Ephesians, really, is the first three chapters he's establishing, as he's writing to those who are in Christ, here's what has happened in you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. That doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. He talks about suffering. He's in, a, he's in chains even as he does these things. So he's writing scripture while he's incarcerated. He understands persecution. At no point is there ever a time in the history of the Christian church, up until the last five minutes of history, where, um, where especially the leadership, where, where it was thought as anything other than normal for Christians to be persecuted. Mm. So even, even throughout um, it, it, what we would refer to now as Christendom, when the Holy Roman Empire took over Europe, and, and so we see you know, in the medieval times and, and coming forward, the, the influence of what I would call churchianity, but the, the Christianity idea where it became the, uh, the cultural norm. Right, so everybody's in church. Uh, <laughs> I was just watching the 1957 Disney movie Johnny Tremaine uh, that uh, deals with. Uh, Why does that sound so familiar? It's a, a classic uh, novel about a 14-year-old who ends up being involved in uh, the revolt in Boston in 17. In, in, in the 1770s. I think and, I'm uh, thinking of Johnny Tsunami, which was a different movie. <laughs> Very different. Fun movie, not the and same. That's more my generation. Same, yeah. Uh, same age, different story. So Johnny Tremaine eventually ends up involved in the Boston Tea Party and, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. Well. But I didn't is it, on, no it must idea. be on Disney Plus, is it? Probably. I was watching Maybe it on it Prime. If I'd have mm -hmm. thought, I would have checked Disney Plus. Because I paid for it on Prime, and I probably should have. Well. <laughs> but anyway, the... Um, and that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. We are the home <laughs> podcasting. What was I talking about? Where were we going with this whole thing? Johnny Tremaine. So, uh, you know, as I'm watching this movie, they're constantly... It's not a Christian movie by any stretch. It's not a Christian novel. But, but the presence of the church mm. in colonial New England, right. you can't get away from it. Right. It was the law in Boston to keep the Sabbath as they understood it. And so um, you could go to jail for breaking Sabbath, for hmm. working on Sunday. Um, and and that's, a, that's a huge, huge difference from anything that we understand sure, today. Right. 
But that does not make it Christianity. It makes it Christianity as a movement, as a religious form, but it does not uh, require a relationship with Christ that shakes you to the core or is is grounded in the reality of who he is when that is the norm of society. Right. And so as we're as we're looking at the history of Christianity, persecution is normal, mm-hmm. right? So even when it was when when Christianity and the trappings of the religious aspects of it were the norm for society, those who stood up for true biblical Christianity that goes beyond just the the religious trappings or the cultural norms would often be persecuted, whether officially or unofficially. That was never not part of it. I don't think that that's changed, really. I, I you know, I, I what's <laughs> what's changed is that we think it should be something different than that. We, well, you know, so the perspective is different. When when Martin Luther stood up. Uh, with the 95 Theses, he wasn't trying to to leave the Catholic Church. He wasn't starting this, this big Reformation. He was inviting a debate. Right. Even then, he knew, he didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did, but he knew there is going to be a cost, an intellectual cost perhaps, but you know, someone's going to come against you. Once it became clear that, that you're standing against the, the norm mm-hmm. for the truth, that's when he started to to come to grips in his mind with the fact that I can't vary from the Word of God. Mm. I can't. But there is going to be a price. Right. That's always the case with everyone who stands for truth because whatever's going on, truth is almost never the norm. And so when and people don't often want to hear it, absolutely. And so you know we've talked. I've been using the hashtag since January of uh, Love Speaks Truth, and, and there's reality to that. And that and you know Paul talks about that speaking the truth to one another in love, and um, as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all of this is part of the speaking the truth and ministering the gospel to one another, but. That's not specifically what he's talking about here. That's part of it. You know, they're, they're, that's the outgrowth of it. But he's talking about taking hold of the truth of God's word, wrapping yourself in sound doctrine that, so that you know the word, you understand what it means. You, you know the, not just the Old Testament law, but the gospel. You understand right. the teachings of the apostles. And you have wrestled with the theology and application of it. If this, then what? If, if right. this is true, if this is what the apostles are teaching, then what? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of my works, then what does that mean as far as how I live and so on and so forth? And so that's putting, you know, you, you have to get that foundation of truth mm-hmm. to be able then to, to deal with it when the rubber meets the road. Right. So that's really what he's talking about here. The rest of the other truth aspects grow out of that. So being a truth teller, he had just, uh, just in chapter 5 talked about, I think it's 5, um, talked about um, not any longer speaking falsehood, but mm. instead speaking truthfully to one another. That's not his point here. It's the outgrowth of his point here. If we are people of truth, if we've fastened truth around us to hold everything together, then we can't 
logically allow ourselves to be people who speak untruth, right? right? And so that same thing applies when we are talking about the ills of society or, or whatever else. Churches in particular, Christians, every individual Christian who make, we make up the church as living stones that build this temple. When, when we can't hold to the truth, we can't expect a society to be better than that. We, can't, we, sure, are, right. we are the truth keepers, the, the truth tellers. And so when the church can't figure out that when God's word says it, it means it, then we have some problems. We, we've got real issues to deal with. But that before that goes to what the truth, what the church says to the outside, we have to we have to speak to ourselves. We have to preach to ourselves so that we understand when the devil is attacking our minds, and that's really the, the context of this. He's he's putting this in, in military terms because we're in a battle. We're in a, a combat zone all the time. And so he's saying, look, you're gonna have to stand against the the evil against the trouble you're gonna have to stand against the forces of darkness the the enemy is going to come against you and you got to be ready so the first thing you got to recognize is you've got to wrap yourself up in truth Mm -hmm. this is what holds things together and if we don't get that then we're going to end up all over the map because we we end up trusting in things that are not the word of god and you know i so often we'll go back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which I think are, are just some of the most central verses in all of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths or, or make, your, make your path straight. So if, if I don't fasten the truth of God's word, the commands, the precepts, the principles of God, a true and right understanding of who he is, how he has revealed himself in scripture, not how he uh, is described to me from the people in my circle of influence, my upbringing, my framework, my church denomination. I have to get beyond all of the, th- the other voices, all of these other things telling me this is what it should be like. This is what walking in Christ should be like. This is what, uh, you know, God's love, so he can't, you know, hell can't really be real because how could God do that? Uh, so many other forms that this mm-hmm. takes on where we distort who he is because we haven't girded our loins with the truth. We haven't taken hold of the fact that it doesn't matter what makes sense to me. It matters what God actually says. What is the reality? And we've heard a number of times in, in recent days folks using uh, the saying, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. And some people will see that as political and get all fired up. That is basic reality. The facts don't care about your feelings. Sounds like a very Ben Shapiro thing to say. I'm sure he's I don't know. I don't know if I've heard him say it, but I'm sure he has. Why would he not? Because it's, it's wisdom. And so we should all recognize that. <clears throat> and I've, I think I've used the quote in here before that the ultimate umpire of all things is fact. It really doesn't matter if I'm, you know, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm playing ball and I go down looking on that third strike because I thought it was a ball, but the umpire says that it wasn't. Bottom line is I'm out whether I want to argue about it or not as because the, the fact would, is what he said. As the Rock would say back in his wrestling days, it doesn't matter what you think. 
<laughs> so once again, going back to '90s rock, right? When he had the hair and, and the, the eyebrow, and, and and he had the the turtleneck with the gold chain and all that stuff. He still got that eyebrow though. That that doesn't the go people's away, eyebrow. So. The people's eyebrow. <laughs> oh, I can smell what Stacy's got cooking. Oh, golly. So, you know, we before we started this in the uh, in the pre-show, something to rant about. We found some inspiration from the classic and. Probably not appropriate for a Sunday school movie. A few good men. Yeah, they weren't, um, they weren't all that good. And when we there were a few good ones. When we were uh, working through that, the the obvious most famous scene from that is the courtroom scene when uh, Tom Cruise's character Baby Tom Cruise and I don't remember his character's name because he's really unimportant. He's the lead, but he's really unimportant. Uh, is questioning Colonel Jessup played. Obviously, super important. That's why I remember the name. Uh, played Supporting by, actor, though. Played by Jack Nicholson, who only recently had played Joker, which is an interesting juxtaposition, by the way, to, to see Nicholson's Joker next to Colonel Jessup. That's kind of an interesting One of my twist. least favorite Jokers. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> you can't beat Heath You Ledger. obviously Sorry. didn't see Jared Leto. But, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's the worst. <laughs> Heath Ledger is the best. The end. Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Before, and that's the truth. <laughs> before this turns into a comic uh, podcast. Oh, we've been there before. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Ricky, I like it. Yeah, that's, that's a big debate. Anyhow, as we're looking at this, you know that big scene. You know, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, I think that's one of the one of the principles that that we wrestle with as Christ followers mm. is so often we say we want the truth. But we're not really ready to deal want, with the truth as it we is. We want truth light. We do. We want we want truth on our terms. Mm-hmm. We want inspiration on our terms. We want God on our terms. And very often that's why he will use hard circumstances. Well, there's to old break saying us. the truth hurts. It does. But it also sets you free. So. Well that's that's I mean, very there's lots right. of sayings surrounding the truth and it's interesting. It's it's one of the only things that I can think of off the top of my head that people can take so positively and so negatively right. all at once. It's funny how often people make fun of your generation, the millennials. Uh, I, rec- I, I recently found out that I'm an elder millennial, which makes me feel a little better about things. Like Really? Because Suzanne is also a millennial. So. But she's an elder millennial then. Because we're not that far she's apart, She's like seven we? years older than you. Six no. years. No. Yeah. How old is so, she? How old are you, Suzanne? Can we six, call it your six age? years older. Can we than call it your age on the podcast. Um, so anyhow, as we're uh, going through this, I, I don't mind them being mocked harshly because it takes the focus off of the mocking that my generation received, and rightly so. For, your generation gets nothing. You're not a boomer. No, we're Generation X, and so we I hear were, nothing about your generation. That's right, because we control the media now. That's <laughs> if you're not figuring it's this out. It's either baby boomers, we, we've millennials, we've gotten old enough to own stuff now. So we got made fun of for you know the entire generation, and rightly so, because we're a bunch of losers. But well. the and you know the that's kind of the issue with the boomers. They led to it. But here's the Sorry, thing: as you watch these things unfold, the, what, what are some of the things that millennials get made fun of being? Soft, you know, uh, feeling entitled, and so on and so forth. A lot of of plants. A lot. (laughs) I haven't heard that one, but okay. (laughs) Um, Guilty. (laughs) Lots of plants, really. Lots of house plants. I've never heard that, other than perhaps. Never mind. That's another conversation. I have a. I have a. I have a. 
reason why you're saying the things you're saying. Why? Go. It's a generational thing. I haven't talked about this before. I did a pa- a paper, a blog on this once, and I had to do research for it. And there's a theory. I guess it's you can it can only be a theory, but the theory was that the reason generations seem to be getting softer and more entitled is because you had the generation before the baby boomers and they were very strict and they didn't come from much they didn't have much they had to live through the depression blah 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 so they were very strict with their kids Mm -hmm. they they taught their kids to work hard for what they have blah 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 that was the and then the baby boomer boomer generation wanted their kids to not have to have what they had so Mm -hmm. they were a little easier on them oh you don't have to work blah 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 so that's me that's my mom Treating me, I mean, I had to get a job at 14, but st- I mean, I didn't want for anything. I had a very comfortable childhood, a very, you know, lovely childhood. But it's, it, some people take it to extremes. Your mom's quite a young boomer, by the way. Right. Um, so. so anyway, it's just been, so then my generation, when we start having kids, then they be, or I guess, you know, Gen, Gen Z or whatever, they're even softer and they're even softer because everybody wants their kids to have better than they had and have life easier than they right. had. And... And that, that's absolutely right. That ain't we, always a good because thing. we haven't suffered as much. Right. And another reason that it's always the younger generation is because they are, by definition, younger. Right. So they haven't experienced as much. They think they're wise. Every generation thinks they're wise as they grow up until they realize how unwise, how foolish they are because, oh, wait, <laughs> mom and dad were right. The more we suffer, the more we begin to understand that. And so we, as increasingly affluent people, I mean, we're we live in a world where you know, people are driving around during the this unbelievable recession in, in 2008, 2009, went worst thing since the Depression. Now, mind you, in the Depression, people were sending their children away to other families because they couldn't feed them. It was normal for kids in rural communities to go to school without shoes. You didn't have, you didn't own shoes. It wasn't a matter of, I, I didn't get a new set of cleats for my sport that I'm in. Uh, in a, you know, I literally I, have no shoes. You know, this is what you got. And in 2009, I'm watching people talking about how bad the economy is. And this is, you know, it's like the depression. Like man, this isn't even as bad as the early '70s. You know, when when we're going through it, it was it rough? Yes, but our standards, our expectations mm-hmm. change. And so, in America, when we're poor, our homeless people—and I'm not in any way saying ignore the homeless people or anything like that—but the poor people here have it better than a lot of people around the world. Who, aren't who don't poor. consider themselves poor right. or aren't considered uh, poor by the government. So we're just, our, our standards, our expectations are different. The reason I even bring that up is because I think that's a big part of what happens with us in our faith walk mm. is we have expectations because we haven't suffered enough. If we are in a place <clears throat> or in a time where you have to, fight for your faith mm-hmm. where being a christian means you will likely lose everything you might lose your home you might lose your family you might lose your life uh, you certainly might lose your freedom uh, which has been the norm for a lot of people and is even today in well, over 50 countries well just this recent uh the horror going on in afghanistan there are Christian churches over there, and these people were being persecuted and even martyred 
Um, and I read one thing on Facebook that about a church there that, that they were underground and they did get martyred. And, you know, then the contrast was, and, you know, I'm considering not going to church on Sunday because I have the sniffles or something right. like that. Right. You know, we, it's, it's... Our yeah. expectations are different. And so <laughs> the, the more we base our expectations on, on the norms around us, mm. what we're used to, what's comfortable for us, the less grounded we are in the reality of the Word of God, the less right. grounded we are in the truth of what matters. And, and this is true for me as much as for everyone else. It, it, I'm like, oh, you know, it's hot outside. It's kind of tough. I'm going to sit in the air conditioning. You know, mm-hmm. Of course, this is, we have it available to us. We can't imagine. I mean, people literally will not go to church if there isn't air conditioning if they don't have comfortable seats. So, you know, we have we have chairs and air conditioning in our new facility, which the facility is not new, but it's new for us. The reason that we have these is because that's what people expect. Right. That's not central to the gospel. It's not necessary. We could do it on, you know, logs outside, you know, in the wintertime. And in When Calls the Heart. It's been a while since we brought up When Calls the Heart. Uh, when you When they're without... Uh, a, pastor with you know they're struggling to they get things the together they're out in the woods in canada and canada you know, sitting around but they're gathering because it meant that much to them mm-hmm. even when they didn't have uh the the means to do it they made it happen right. and when we're connected to the reality of god's word and we see the centrality of christ and the necessity of being together as the body then it changes us. It changes our priorities. When we are understanding that, that the reality of Christ is not only central, it is supreme. Now I'm kind of looking at the book of Colossians here as, I, as I'm saying this. When we begin to see just how vast, how great, how unspeakable the holiness of God is, and then considering that we are rebels against the crown, so to speak, and our sin rightly brings God's wrath. And all of us, by our very nature, we don't choose good. We don't choose godliness. We don't do our best, even though we like to say we do. We don't. None of us do. Then to see that the holy God is great and vast and majestic and, and sovereign as he is, actually loved us enough to send his son to take all of our sinfulness upon himself to put his righteousness onto us Mm -hmm. so that we are declared righteous before we actually become in our practice righteous which is the nature of the first three chapters of the book of ephesians we're chosen we're adopted and before we ever even do anything good he has declared us right he has declared us holy and righteous and set apart for him well then when we see that gratitude is is the only logical thing living a life as romans 12 says living a life as a living sacrifice if he died for me why how can i do anything else but live for him right but at the same time if i if i don't go all the way into the character of God, exploring what the Word of God says about Him, then I'm going to very easily be thrown off. And Romans eight, Romans five, and Romans eight both kind of uh, echo this. 
when I, Romans 5 talks about the fact that we, we don't just glory in all these wonderful things. We glory in our sufferings. Mm. And part of that is because the one who allows the suffering in our lives is the same one who, while we were rebellious against him, sent his son to die in our place. And you put the two passages together, and what you see is that if, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us, how much more, now that we're his children, now that we've been saved, we've placed our faith in him, and we're not practicing righteousness all the time, but we have been declared righteous by him because of the sacrifice that he made, if he did all that while we were his enemies, then how could we possibly imagine that now that we're his children, that he would abandon us? So if I believe that, that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins, and I recognize that it's not because of anything in me, it's not anything that I did, then being able to wrap my mind around that truth and remind myself of that truth when I blow it or when I'm overcome by fear or whatever else it is, to remember that the one who owns it all, who controls it all, has seen fit to give his son in my place, has also seen fit to allow this in my life. Right. So whatever it is, this has to be the very best possible thing in this moment to make me more like Christ and bring glory to God. I can't really escape that if I see and apply the truth of God's word. So when we do those kinds of things, and there's so many more aspects that we could talk about, you know, when we begin to, to take on the idea that there is an external objective truth that's not about my feelings at all, because my feelings can't determine truth. My feelings are a response to my circumstances, my stimuli. And then I get to choose what I'm going to do with that. I don't choose the things that happen to me, but I do get to choose my attitude, my mindset, my thinking. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that bad thoughts won't creep in. The devil is going to actively work against me. That's why I have to put on this armor. That's why I have to choose to buckle, to buckle up, to take this belt of truth, wrap myself up around it, cinch it down tight, and, and hold on because it's coming. When he says you stand when the day of evil comes, this isn't an eschatological thing. He's not talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about the evil days, the trouble that comes upon us all the time when the devil attacks. And when we feel overwhelmed by these attacks of the devil, we need to be girded up. We need to have our armor on to be pre prepared and next week we'll talk about the fact that we are protected. And then we, we'll talk after that about the reality that we, we need to be proactive in engaging uh, in this battle. But this, this idea that we're just victims mm -hmm. is not biblical. Mm -hmm. And the better we take hold of truth, the less we're going to be tossed around by false doctrines. Right. That, chapter 4 talked about that. The more unified we will be as we all grow together in truth. Our divisions come because we don't understand things rightly. And so I think this, and you think that, and I feel this way, and you feel that way. But if we are united in understanding the, the truth of God's word, and we are united in our love for Christ, then all the rest of that stuff falls away. And the unity grows. Our love for one another grows. Our grace toward one another grows. But that only happens when we have that foundational piece of truth. 
We will stop there for today. Um, if anybody has any questions or comments, shoot, I forgot to put the question prompt again. I'm a horrible podcaster. Horrible. Horrible. Um, and Just that's, kidding. This is the home of professional And that's podcasting. the truth. Um, so if you have any questions post-podcast, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at something reallifeonline.org. I know, but this subject is over. No, I'm just kidding. Ask us questions anytime. Nothing anything. is over. You can't handle the truth. Still um, incredible. So yeah, something real, reallifeonline.org. The power just flickered. That was terrifying. Um, Not terrifying. I thought that we were going to lose everything. That was the terrifying part. That could be terrifying. So, um, or you can send us a message on Facebook or YouTube or leave us a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC or if you use the Anchor app, you can leave us one directly on there. Well done. Anything else from you? It's as good as it's going to get. First ask, ask her for Jack Nicholson. Not first. Came full circle there. <laughs> Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>